How much are agency nurses costing the healthcare system? This is a question that Loren McNabb has been looking into. Given the nursing shortage, healthcare system is having to turn to alternative sources to provide the services they need, but it's costing a pretty penny. We also talked today about mental health, specifically the mental health of kids, because the latest mental health index from LifeWorks indicates that over half of Canadian parents say the pandemic has had a bad impact on their kids. We spoke to an 80s pop culture expert and author on the life lessons he took from 80s movies that changed everything for him, and that spurred an even bigger conversation on the TV shows or movies that taught you important life lessons. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is in for Connecting Winnipeg, but she joined us on the show today. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, August 17th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb once again in for Connecting Winnipeg from 10 until 12, but she is going to join us this morning at 7.35 with something that she's been working on. But I want to start with a question for you, Mr. Mackling, because you were all fired up this morning about something that happened to you yesterday. What's what's going on with, the, with gridlock at the Forks? Well, I'm sure it's fine at this moment as we speak, <laughs> yeah. but 12 yeah. hours ago, it was unbelievable. I compared it to what you'd see following a Jets game or a Bomber game, trying to get out of the parking lots, uh, the parkades downtown after Jets game, or trying to get off campus when the University of Manitoba was at its worst, <laughs> when things were at their least organized, when when the IG field first opened. I went down to pick up one of my boys. My boys spent the afternoon down at the Forks yesterday. Dad, can you pick me up at 5.30? Absolutely, no problem. See you then. So I leave North, Dakota, uh, North Kildona about 5 o'clock. Everything's great until I get on to Israel Asper Way, and it's bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic. I'm th- what is going on here? It's bumper-to-bumper bumper in each direction. I don't go through there normally at rush hour. That's not part of my routine, yeah. so I don't know what normally goes on there. I I had a, a, a guess that there was a problem with regard to traffic down there because on Israel Asper Way, they're just down to one lane. And you know that people use that as a cut through, right? York Avenue, Israel Asper Way, and then onto the Provence Bridge. And you asked the question when we were talking about it, can you both lanes turn left? I don't know if both lanes can turn left. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking at, I'm looking at Google Street Map right now, and it's no. It's if, you're in the, if you're on York, yes. the, in the left lane, you must turn left there, and if you're in the right lane, you must turn right towards the forks. Okay, so I'm wondering then if a usual shortcut for some people is maybe just to do that right turn on Israel Asper Way and then make a U-turn and then go back up and and find your way on to Provence. Well, yesterday, there were enough people doing this that it was gridlock. It took me 45 minutes to get in and out of the forks. There was three and four minute stretches where it didn't move at all. There were three buses stacked behind me. There was a fire truck got stuck in the middle of all this. Oh yeah, it was, Brett, I I really (laughs) don't know how to explain it other than the comparisons that I made with regard to jets and, and blue bomber traffic. So I don't know if this has been going on all week. I don't know if that's going to happen this morning, but I want to throw it out to our listeners. Is this something you've experienced 
in the last several days at the Forks? And is this something we need to ask the Forks about or the city of Winnipeg? Or was it an anomaly? Was it a one-off? I want to hear from you. I'm looking at the uh, the Winnipeg lane closures list. And uh, Israel Asper Way northbound, York Avenue to William Stevenson Way. The northbound curb lane closed for street construction and maintenance. Uh, that started, looks like August 3rd, and is scheduled or expected to be complete by August 20th. So by this weekend, I guess. Uh, hopefully that gets cleared up. But isn't it funny how one lane closure can just muck everything up badly? No, no question about it. And when you're talking about a, what's, you know, it's a 20, 30 kilometer an hour zone. There's, there's of course, that traffic circle. In front of the parking structure, you've got on-street parking, things really narrow in there. It What a schmoz. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you mentioned with the fire truck thing, I'm just remembering now, I, I don't know that there is an instance where I feel more anxiety in the car than when you, you're in gridlock and there is an emergency vehicle behind you that needs to get through. I remember I was on Carlton between St. Mary... And York. Okay. And I believe I was in the left lane, but all three lanes were jammed. It was, I don't know, 4.45 in the afternoon. We weren't moving. And there is an ambulance that needs to get through. So (laughs) I had to pull up just into the entrance to go into the parking lot. There were trucks, like, pulling over onto the curb. It was pandemonium. And then once the, the ambulance got through... Here I am in this entry to get into the parkade, and I'm like, how am I going to get out of this now? And no one would let me let me back out. It's a free for all. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny the contrast, right? Everybody's bending over backwards for the most part, trying to get out of the way, trying to be a solid citizen. I've got to get out of the way of this emergency vehicle, and then it's like as soon as that emergency vehicle passes. Every man and woman for themselves. <laughs> I don't care if I was at the back of the line. I must be first. I'm now going to follow that emergency vehicle at high rate of speed. Like the, the change in demeanor and societal values that, 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 that with the flip of a switch is, is unreal. Because it is. It's a total free-for-all afterwards. Just becomes Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> so feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. But again, if you've been stuck in that particular spot... Uh, at the Forks, uh, feel free to advise us. And if you have any solutions on a better way to go, because really, like I have used, I used to use that route quite frequently. And sometimes it would be during rush hour where I'd be going the other way, where I would be going um, down York towards towards Main Street from the Forks. Sure. And um, it doesn't really matter. Like if you, because if you need to say you're going, you're coming up Provence you got to get to Osborne Village. It doesn't really matter which way you go. They're they're all bad <laughs> during rush hour. So I don't I don't really have a solution for you there. But if you have one, let us know. Also today we are going to be talking about life lessons learned from movies and shows. And this has to do with something we're doing much later in the show at 9.35. You found a rather interesting guest for us to chat with. Well, it jumped out for me because of your love of movies and pop culture and television shows. And uh, we're going to speak to Chris Clues. He's an author and keynote speaker. And in the notes that I have about him, he says, uh, says this, he was on his couch having a self-pity party. 
of one over a job that just wasn't working out for him. Flipping channels, he stopped on the classic 1983 movie, The Outsiders, and literally jumped off his couch when he heard Johnny Cade say, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And so now that's his life, is tying pop culture into work philosophies, business philosophies, life philosophies. And so we're going to speak with Chris uh, in uh, about three hours' time. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb and Connecting Winnipeg from 10 until 12 today. She's going to join us at 7.35. And we're going to be broadcasting live tomorrow, by the way, from the Manitoba Open and on Friday. So that is exciting stuff. Right now, we want to tell you how you can win stuff. And it has to do... We're using a conversation we're going to have at 9.35 as a launch pad. So Mackling... Set us up for us. So I got this. Uh, I got this email yesterday. Would you like to speak to the '80s pop culture guy, Chris Clues, on unexpected work and life lessons from the movies and music that define pop culture's most excellent decade? So the 1980s, that's right in my wheelhouse, and movies, television, pop culture, that's right in Brett McGarry's wheelhouse. So I said, absolutely, we'd like to speak about this. And so Chris is going to correlate different movies from the 80s and the different life and business lessons that are that are impacting uh, that aspect of our life. And today we're going to, to focus in on two movies in particular. Uh, one of those is um, Field of Dreams, which is the movie that I would say inspired my desire to go and visit every single Major League Baseball park. Oh, wow. And I'm not quite done yet, but I'm over half. And so, yeah, this really resonated with me, and I know it's going to resonate with you, Brett. All right. So that conversation is coming up at 935, but the conversation we're going to have with you at 204-780-6868. What movie or television show taught you an important life lesson, like something that you take with you, or maybe not necessarily a life lesson, but perhaps a valuable life skill. Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets for Celebrations Dinner Theaters Ships Creek. And let's go around the horn here. Why don't we start with the co-host of The Couch Potatoes, Mr. Jeff Braun. Seinfeld has taught us so many life lessons uh, over the years. About how not to be? One of my favorites and one I've, I've used from time to time, something I've employed here and there throughout the years, uh, came to, from George Costanza, who was always looking for, you know, the easy way out of everything. And at work, he, he came up with this little uh, theory that if you look annoyed all the time, people will think you're busy and not give you more work. So uh, every now and then that actually comes in handy. You just want people to leave you alone, just look like you're frustrated with something and they'll just back off and give you your space. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. I do I do know when Jeff is in the building, not to talk to him until at least five a.m. because uh, he's getting getting this stuff together. By the way, just a, this is a totally unrelated thing, but it is a Seinfeld thing at um, the U.S. Amateur Golf Tournament recently. I don't know if you saw this, but they said whoever was in charge of making the pairings had to be a Seinfeld yeah, fan because the, the, there's the, there's a group here. One guy's name is M. Costanza. No. The second guy's name is H. Newman. And the third guy's name is C. Kramer. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I wonder if his first name's Cosmo. Um, <laughs> Cameron Poitras, what about you? Hey, for Chad, pulled a clip there. Play that. I got it. Now, now. who's next? 
Oh, you're right, Vartek. Mr. Anderson. So you're sitting there in agony. Come on, Todd, step up. Let's put you out of your misery. I, I didn't do it. I didn't write a poem. Mr. Anderson thinks that everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. Isn't that right, Todd? Isn't that your worst fear? Well, I think you're wrong. I think you have something inside of you that is worth a great deal. So I stuck with the 80s, uh, 1989, Dead Poets Society, Robin Williams there. Um, I just kind of was like kind of lazing around. I think it was like a Sunday morning and I, and, I, and I just popped that on. I think it was on Disney Plus. And yeah, I'd never been moved or, uh, you know, watched a movie that that was that thought, thought provoking and sort of spoke to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I, I took quite a bit from, from, from that movie and Robin Williams' performance. Great movie. I've never seen it. I feel like I had to confess that. Is that okay? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> he's hoping That's to make okay. Cam mad, but he's a, he's in a good mood after listening to that inspiring clip. Jeff Forte, what about you? For me, growing up, there was a television program for kids, or I would say kids and young adults, uh, called Boy Meets World. It's on uh, it was the Disney Channel or uh, the Family Channel. Anyhow, it, that show taught me so many different life lessons because you got to see this group of friends grew up from like they start when they were kids all the way till they went to uh, college so it really taught me a lot uh, when it comes to a movie I'd probably go with click uh, the Adam Sandler movie <laughs> I, d- I don't I don't have a clip of it but uh, click uh, with Adam Sandler he gets a universal remote where he, he can control his life so the boring parts he can fast forward he can you know do funny things but uh, then the remote takes over and you know starts fast forwarding over the boring what he thought were boring parts of his life and then he ended up missing so many things like his kids growing up and it was just heartbreaking at the end so it's like don't you know don't miss out on the, the little things because that can really really mean something in the end so he couldn't rewind he could only go forward yeah he could only go forward wow oh, look at you being all profound at 655 on a wednesday morning jeff forche i also had no idea that movie was that profound i'm yeah. kind, of, kind of curious to watch that and mine would also be you is a, it's a kid's show this goes back uh, it, it aired originally in the 70s but i guess i was watching it in reruns in the early 80s or i guess it would have been late 70s because this show taught me how to read when i was three <laughs> Okay, Groove is. Here he is, yours truly, Mel Mound, the main man with a big plan. That's Morgan Freeman, by the way, on The Electric Company. I got you to put in your ear what you are waiting to hear. The top three tunes of the week on the big chart. And I cross my heart. The chart that shows who's making it, who's breaking it, and who's only faking it. And here are the songs and their hot spot slot. In third place, still coming on strong after 436 weeks, is my mellow fellow turned out yellow. <laughs> what a great program that was. And oddly enough, if I were to pick a movie, it also has Morgan Freeman. Get busy living or get busy dying. Pretty simple motto. Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Incredible movie. Lots of life lessons there. Zewatanehu, baby. <laughs> go, go. I've seen that one, Brett. Yo, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually going to look up right now if Dead Poet Society is available on any of the streamers and uh, make a note to watch that uh, maybe on this weekend.
Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is in for connecting Winnipeg today from 10 until 12, but she is going to join us just after Global News at 7.30 to talk about nursing shortages across the Canadian healthcare system. And a reminder that we have a couple of things to give away this morning. We have a family four-pack of tickets and treats to see Gulliver Returns at Landmark Cinemas. I think we'll do that in our next half hour. And we have Celebrations Dinner Theatres Ships Creek tickets. We're asking you about the life lessons that you learned from television or movies. So you can text us at 204 780 6868. This is quite the contrast from Carrie, who says the movie would have to be The Shawshank Redemption, as I mentioned in our previous segment, and then the TV show Married with Children. Married with Children? <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to know what lessons you're learning from that show. Like, don't be a shoe salesman, with all due respect to shoe salesmen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the what would the lesson be. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. So yeah, feel free to let us know. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. In the meantime, here's a troubling headline: More than half of Canadian parents report negative impacts of the pandemic on their children. Oh boy, I wish I was surprised by this, Brett, but I'm not. That headline comes from the LifeWorks Mental Health Index, which also finds the treatment employees receive from their company has more influence on their buying and investment decisions. To learn more about these findings, we're joined by Paula Allen, LifeWorks Global Leader and Senior Vice President, Research and Total Wellbeing. I love that to- that title, Paula, and we always appreciate when you join us. Good morning. Good morning. So let's start with what you've learned about the mental health of Canadian children. More than half of parents say the last two years have had negative effects on their kids. Yeah, about 56% say so. And and the impact is, is broad. Uh, there's concern about mental health, you know, pe- uh, children's anxiety, a uh, sense of, of withdrawal, uh, but there's also social development and, and academic development. So a number of things. And when we look at the disruption that we have had as a result of the pandemic uh, and we look at what children need, they need stability, they need interaction with others, they need structure. And a lot of that was taken away. We had change and uncertainty. So, again, unfortunate results, but not surprising. So if the kids are suffering negative impacts, that must be hurting the parents as well. So should companies, for example, be offering more support to their working parents? Absolutely. Um, and we have found that throughout the pandemic, the mental health scores in our index of parents have been consistently below those of, of non-parents. So, you know, dealing with all the change and uncertainty in your own life, but also the care and concern for your children has weighed very heavily. And organizations have tools to help parents. Uh, flexibility is one, so you can deal with what's uh, going on in your personal as well as, well as your, your work life. But also resources, employee assistance programs in particular, are for not only individuals, personal counseling, confidential counseling, but also for families. So helping the family uh, and also providing coaching support for parents. Paula, talk about how that's changed, that attitude in the workplace. And I mean from leadership, management, owners, that notion that if my employees aren't completely healthy physically and emotionally and on the mental health front, uh, then they're not as productive as they ought to be. They may be negative impact in the workplace, but also 
the situation at home has to be healthy as well. Are those investments keeping up with the knowledge? Well, there's, there's so much in what you said, so I'll answer in two parts. Uh, one is that we do find that there is more empathy at the senior level for very practical reasons. This, these last two years have really kind of shown the vulnerability that we all have. And we did some research on the mental health and resilience of senior leaders and found that they were struggling as well. You know, they have might have a lot of resources and all the rest of that, but, you know, your mental health is really impacted by a number of things that, that can impact virtually anyone. So the feeling of vulnerability has really hit everyone very hard. So the recognition of the value of people, even if they are struggling, and the need to support them has become much more, uh, much more prevalent, much more front of mind uh, across the board in terms of leadership. The other thing is that everybody is realizing that, you know, mental health is a collective uh, issue. It's not just about what you do for yourself, but your environment. So individuals are making employment decisions where they want to work uh, based on the, the behavior and the attitude and the support from their, uh, that the employer would give. But they're also making decisions around where they would put their money, what brands they would support in terms of buying and investing. And 33% of us think it is very, very significant how an uh, employer, how a company treats their people and will have that influence our buying behavior. Well, we'll have to leave it there. We thank you so much. If, if, if anyone listening, though, wants to learn more and get more detailed findings, can they do so online? Oh, without question. We want this information to be in the hands of everyone so we can be a little bit more aware and make good decisions. And you can get it on LifeWorks website, L-I-F-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com, LifeWorks dot com, and search for the Mental Health Index or use any search engine and put in Mental Health Index LifeWorks and it will come to you. Paula Allen, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. this is important stuff. Take care. Thank you for the time. Paula Allen, LifeWorks Global Leader and Senior Vice President, Research and Total Wellbeing with the results of the LifeWorks Monthly Mental Health Index. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is in on Connecting Winnipeg today from 10 until 12. And a reminder that we will be broadcasting live at the Manitoba Open at Southwood Golf and Country Club tomorrow from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then the start will be there once again on Friday morning. So we're very excited about that because that means, Mackling, you and I are going to be in the same vicinity. Like, I'll be able to see your face tomorrow morning, not through a computer monitor. Yes, and uh, it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. So I'm looking forward to being out in the fresh air, the morning air at Southwood and at the top of the list sitting next to you, at least about as close as we can be uh, without uh, breaking any protocols. (laughs) Okay, so that is tomorrow on 680 CJOB. But today we are asking you what movies or television shows did you learn either an important life lesson or maybe a life skill? Um, What are we getting at 204-780-6868, Greg? Well, well, Pete, after my heart here, um, I watched this show with my dad for a long time. This old house taught me a lot of life lessons, how to repair house problems that occur, how to rebuild, and how to build out buildings. 
I've been watching it from when Bob Vila was the host. That goes way, way back. We're talking 40 years, I would have to say. And then Kevin says, the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray taught me this lesson. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. 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 if we win. Canadian classic. I wonder, Meatballs. If, I wonder if The Rock was trying to channel that movie because that became one of his catchphrases for a while. It it doesn't matter what your name is. 204-780-6868. Which movies or television shows taught you an important life lesson or a life skill? And we're going to pick a winner at 915 for the Celebrations Dinner Theaters. Ships Creek. Alarm bells over the state of our healthcare system have been sounding for years. And at the top of the list of concerns for many, it's a shortage of nurses. That's right. Data released by Shared Health back in June, Brett, shows the nurse vacancy rate across the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority facilities were extremely concerning. Here's two examples. At the HSC, the vacancy rate was at 26.6%, and numbers released just a month earlier in May showed the Grace Hospital had a 28% nurse vacancy rate. Manitoba Nurses Union Darlene Jackson has said in the past the shortages were predicted for 2025, but the pandemic sped that timeline up. In an effort to backfill some of those positions, health authorities across the country, this is not a Manitoba or a Winnipeg-only situation, right across the country, health authorities are turning to outside resources for solutions. We welcome our own Loren McNabb to the start, which feels a little odd in saying, <laughs> Loren, but of course you're filling in on Connecting Winnipeg. You're doing backfill of your own right now. So we've been having this discussion off air for a couple of weeks now. You're ready to come public with this discussion. Tell us about agency nurses. Well, it was just last week, I think I texted you, Greg, and, and I was having my own experience uh, with loved ones in hospital and, sa- and said, I think we need to talk about agency nurses because I was seeing more of them in different healthcare settings that I was in. And, you know, it's important to point out they're not new. As you said, Greg, this has been going on for years. It's been going on in multiple jurisdictions, but I, I didn't realize the extent to which we were tapping into these private companies. So these are businesses, private for-profit businesses that are essentially helping connect nurses, other healthcare assistants to people or places that need them. So yesterday on Connecting Winnipeg, I talked to the folks at Unity Healthcare Solutions. That company was started by two nurses back in the fall of 2018. And basically hospitals, care homes, mental health facilities, you know, a dialysis unit, whenever they're short staffed, they will reach out to a company like Unity and say, hey, I need help. Can you connect me with, you know, ABC for today, tomorrow, for a week, however long they might need. And so I want to play a clip first from Monique Shampoo and Carolyn Harmon, who explained to me yesterday the demand for services right now is huge. This morning it starts coming in at about 5.30 a.m. And it doesn't end till about, well, last night for me, it ended at about 10 after 11. Uh, so we do long, long hours. The types of call we've gotten this morning are just one per diem shift. Like it could be Pine Falls Hospital, any any of the regional health authorities here in Manitoba, any of the personal private owned facilities or First Nation requests. So we get 
Probably, I could say, I think Carolyn will agree, at least 50 calls already this morning. Oh, for sure, if not more. 50 calls, Carolyn. So how does that compare to when you first launched for almost four years ago? Well, we were kind of nervous at first starting Unity, thinking, oh, goodness, how are we going to do this? But it's been phenomenal since the start till now. It's just increased by 100%, if not more. So, Loren, to what extent does Manitoba tap into this option? Well, you heard, used them, they used the word they're phenomenal, right? For them, it, it, they're looking to find solutions. That's what they say they're doing, and I get it. And they found solutions through this service, and, and Manitoba needs the help right now, right? And so I had said yesterday that I had asked Shared Health last week for numbers on just how much we spent on agency nursing over the past five years. We finally have those numbers. They go back to 2017, and they're broken down by health authorities. So in Winnipeg, for example... $1.7 was spent on agency nurses in 2017. Last year, more than $4 million. In the north, $2 million five or so years ago. Last year, $10 million. The region that's spending the most is actually Prairie Mountain Health. That would include, you know, Brandon, Dauphin, Minnedosa. They were already spending a lot on agency nursing pre-pandemic, some $5 million in 2017, 2018. Well, last year, that jumped to $12 million. And so overall... Agency nurses, six, seven years ago, they used to account for about 2% of the budget allocated to nursing staff. That's now at 4%. So we've doubled the amount we're spending on agency nurses in this province. Okay, so how does the expense of using these agency nurses compare to using nurses which are employed, unionized, and, and within the system already, Loren? Yeah, that's, that's harder to break down. And, it, you know, you can't compare apples to apples. I it isn't apples to apples. I had asked that question yesterday because you could have, for example, you know, it depends on how you look at it. You could have a nurse who only does agency work, or you could have a nurse who might have a couple of hours within the, the typical channels, right? They might be hired through the RHA, the Regional Health Authority, but also be on the list and do a bit of both. And so the hourly wage for sure is more through the agency. They are paying more per hour but they then don't have those typical pension packages, the benefit packages you might see through those typical channels. And so there could be nurses who are doing a bit of both or nurses who just go all in on the agency nursing. Bottom line, that all comes from the same pool. We pay for that. Whether we pay for the nurse who's hired through the RHA or the nurse who's hired through the agency through the RHA, right? it's all coming from the same pool. And the, and the challenge here is that I heard from a nurse yesterday who said it's not about the bottom line. It's not just about the money. It's about that burnout that, that she's been experiencing. And she's quitting her job, her full-time job with the RHA to go to agency nursing. She texted in because in part, she's, she's done with the mandated overtime. She wants to be able to set her own hours. She can say yes to a shift or no to a shift and, and potentially in theory, make more money. Maybe not fully with the benefit packages, but that hourly wage is higher. And it's costing hospitals a growing amount because there's this demand, more is being shelled out. Toronto Star did an expose yesterday where agency nursing spending is up 550% pre-pandemic. That's a huge amount. And so yesterday we also spoke to Andrew Longhurst, who is a health policy researcher and PhD candidate at Simon Fraser University. can't blame people in a context no. of so much burnout. But on top of that, there's a significant markup. Um, and that uh, Toronto Star piece uh, showed, you know, upwards of 100% markup. And so that's, we could also call that the profit margin uh, for that corporation that they're making on providing nursing staff to public hospitals. So I think 
fundamentally, we need to look at what are the causes of why we can't recruit and retain staff in the public system. And much of that has to do with the unmanageable workloads and the deterioration of working conditions. And so I think first and foremost, we have to focus on the causes and, and the upstream problems. I know so often, Loren, that nurses will be on their way out the door, their scheduled shift is over, and maybe before it's over, somebody's come to them and said, we need you to work another half shift or maybe a full shift. With these agency nurses, just to maybe emphasize this, when their shift is done, it's over. That, that's the end of the obligation. Yeah, it doesn't mean, I guess it doesn't mean they couldn't get called back in if the agency says they now want you to do that. But that's not really what's happening because they have a list of nurses that they can then provide for the next shift that's needed. And so I think that's really what it comes down to here for many. Sure, we all like more money, but we're tired. We're exhausted. All of us are feeling the same thing post-pandemic as we emerge out of this. Now imagine if you're someone on the front lines who's been mandated to work overtime, not just for a couple weeks or a couple days or months, but it's been a year or so of this. And so I know we asked the health minister to join us yesterday, gave her an option of any time between 10 and 6 p.m. She was not available to speak with us. I'm reaching out to the health authorities again today and shared health to see if they can come more come on to share more about how this whole system is working. We know they're trying to bring in more nurses through through extra seats at the university. We know that there's been new agreements with the union and, and with bargaining so that, that maybe that there could be some changes to how hours are set, mandated, maybe a bit, bit of changes to what they're paid. But at the end of the day, this isn't going to be fixed tomorrow. And so you can bet. I think the numbers will continue to grow at least for this year. And I, ha- I have to be honest, I did not know this was a thing well and truly, Greg, uh, until I started reading a few different news reports over the past few months. And then until I was in a hospital and thought, hang on, who are all these other people with these different name tags? And realized that without them, in many cases, maybe that hospital floor wouldn't be able to function that day. 680 CJOB's Loren McNabb, typically our co-host here on The Start, but in on Connecting Winnipeg once again today from 10 until 12. Loren, I, I, it feels weird because, you know, you're a co-host, yeah. but in this context, you're our guest, so I'll say thank you for the time. Oh, you should have cut me off just for fun. Like, cue the music or something. Cue the music as I'm talking like I'm in the Oscars. Or, we're out of time, Loren. Give it like, <laughs> It's Mackling and McGarry. We're asking you about life lessons that you learned from either movies or television shows. And it was listener Carrie who had quite the contrast. For a movie, it was The Shawshank Redemption, which is a wonderful, inspiring film. And then for television, he said Married with Children. And uh, I know we're going to have contrasting sitcoms as well in a moment here. Eve actually went into some pretty great detail on what life lessons could be learned from Married with Children. Eve says, the lesson is to be just enough of a bad guy dad that when your daughter's suitors know to bash their own heads against specific points of your house as you're dragging them out of her bedroom and out the door. Okay, well, I I guess I 
don't have a daughter, but uh, <laughs> as someone who who dated uh, more than one person over the years, I, yeah, I could see where there would be a benefit there. He says there's one episode where at the beginning, Al is dragging this suitor down the stairs and he's injuring him at specific places on the way out of the house. At the end of the episode, all Al has to do is point to the specific point and the kid injures himself willingly. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, for all its vulgarities and uh, interesting uh, storylines, unusual approach. It was a pretty hilarious show. It was a great show. It was a great show. Pretty kind of kind of a landmark sitcom too, because we'd never quite seen anything like that on network television. But speaking of sitcoms, one of the all-time greats, Mr. Fortier. Sunday, Monday, oh. happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Absolute Friday, staple days. in my life. Same here. Richie, Fonzie, Potsy, Ralph Malf, not so much. Um, Gary says, my life lesson from a TV show is an easy one. It goes back to the old sitcom Happy Days. In one episode, Richie is about to go out on his first date. What, what does he call it? Uh, like Blueberry Hill? Is that what he walks around singing that song? I found my thrill. <laughs> On Blueberry Hill. (laughs) Anyway, his father, Howard Cunningham, is all concerned and wants to be sure to give his son great words of wisdom, great fatherly advice. He goes on at great length about what to say, what advice to give Richie before his big first date. The mother, Marion, ah, Marion Ross was the best, says to Howard, Howard, what are you going to tell him tonight that you haven't already been telling him his whole life? Wow, says Gary, I just thought was absolutely brilliant and really underscores the importance of we live who we are, not what we say. That was my life lesson going back many decades. Thank you, Gary. I love it. That is some profound stuff. Thank you, Gary. And continue to share your stories at 204-780-6868, the life lessons or life skills that you've learned from films or television shows. And we'll pick a winner at 9.15 for the Celebrations Dinner Theater's Ships Creek tickets. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is in for connecting Winnipeg today from 10 until 12. A reminder that we are going to be broadcasting live from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. tomorrow from the Manitoba Open at Southwood Golf and Country Club. And then the start's going to be back there on Friday morning as well. So that is fun. In the meantime, Bob Irving joins us at 8.30. You think he's going to try to sneak into our broadcast when we're at Southwood? I know he was golfing yesterday with Ed Tate. I suspect they were at Breezy Bend. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to try and sneak on the course. I mean, you've golfed with Bob Irving. Yeah. He he could be competitive in a pro-am for sure. I would want him on my team every time if for only the stories that he can tell, but he's a heck of a golfer on top of that. Yep, he was good. He's a great golfing partner. So he's going to join us at 8.35. But in the meantime, we just want to revisit a couple of the things that we've discussed this morning because, as always, we get an avalanche of feedback at 204-780-6868, and that's a good thing. Avalanche typically not a good thing. Unless you're a Colorado ice hockey fan, I suppose. But uh, we thank you for all of that feedback. So, for example, last half hour, Loren McNabb, even though she's on Connecting Winnipeg, she jumped on with us at 7.35 to talk about nurse shortages. That's right. And so William says this, good segment with that guest, Loren. You should have her on more. (laughs) (laughs) Tongue in cheek there. Thank you, William. But he goes on to say nursing situation. There are obviously nurses, nurses available just working 
in a different model, but the issue here is in hospital. You really want, need that continuity of staff and knowledge of patient history, et cetera. If I'm in a hospital with some serious illness or injury, I don't want a different person each day for my time there who has to review and, quote, figure out what my needs are, et cetera. And that's uh, from William's firsthand experience six, 16 years ago. And then there's that conversation, Brett, that many people have about public versus private. And Doug has a take on that. Doug says, I believe it's the answer to end this mess. But public, private is a bad word, even though it's already happening. Sending people to Sanford in Fargo, private nurses and public private does not have to be two-tier, like many people try to say when public-private is mentioned. Yeah, we've had those public-private combinations of care, levels of care. I would argue we've had two-tier health care since the creation of Medicare. Brett, not everyone has dental care. I think that's a cr- critical part of, of health care. Not everybody has easy access to that. Not everyone has supports or benefits for eye care. Prescription benefits, that's just the beginning. X-ray clinics, blood work, they've been done at private clinics forever. So I guess there seems to be a line with regard to private and public for most Canadians, but I can say that I've seen that shifting over the last couple of decades about what's acceptable for a lot of folks. Also wanted to mention this text message, if for no other reason than to just... Uh, see if if Greg wants to smash because we got a text message in response to the the nursing conversation and it uh, what do we call it what aboutism mm-hmm. and this listener says wah 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 talk to construction workers working twelve to sixteen hours a day overtime after fifty hours in the weather do you have my utmost respect but I think a lot of you guys also get the entire winter off oh yeah I think so. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, listener, 204-780-6868. But indeed, we, I think, and I, I know personally I've said it a, a thousand times that, that I am, guys who work, those who work outside are made of sterner stuff than I. I 100%. would not want to Used be to outside in a, in a hard hat and, you know, heavy equipment working in that. Like yesterday I was on a golf course and I was dying in the heat. I was playing a game in a light shirt and shorts. I wouldn't want to be working out in that. So, yes, you have our respect. Um, but we also uh, got some feedback on traffic because earlier this morning, GMAC, you revealed that it, it took you like an hour or so just to get in and out of the forks. Yeah, it was almost 90 minutes by the time it was all said and done. And we're not seeing any problems this morning. And I didn't expect that we would. But when people are trying to get out of the downtown, they often use that underpass on York to get to Israel Asper Way and then either to onto Provence. And one of our listeners pointed out, I know a lot of people keep going up Waterfront Drive to find their way to Higgins. That's a popular way to the east and northeast part of the city. Well, yesterday... It was an absolute parking lot as people were trying to deke around and through the forks. It turned into absolute gridlock. I was curious if this is something that had been going on for the last several days. I'll be curious to see if it happens today. And Dave said, Greg, you're not alone in the traffic thing. Yesterday, it took me one hour 
to get from HSC to Broadway. It was painful. Lights would turn green, next block red. Nobody was moving. Traffic lights are not set up at all in the city for flow. How can you expect traffic to move when you turn green? Next light, one block away, immediately turns red, and then traffic backs up, and everyone trying to turn or merge because of construction. Yeah, it, it turns into a mess pretty quick, Brett. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, the, the construction... It's so badly needed, and it's great that the city is investing in all of that construction, but it's got, it, it's to the point this summer where, depending on what time of day it is, I just will not get in my car. I'll look at where, where do I need to go, what route do I need to take, and then I evaluate, is this going to be worth the additional time that it's guaranteed me to take? And more often than not, I just say, no, <laughs> it can wait. It can wait to another time. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is in on Connecting Winnipeg from 10 until 12. Bob Irving joins us in a moment, but if I understand what I'm reading correctly, Greg, are you about to fall on the sword? Absolutely I am, Brett, in an effort to push back on the text, which was comparing working conditions and overtime between nurses and construction workers. I suggested that construction workers get the the winter off. It kind of went down like this. And this listener says, wah, wah, wah. Talk to construction workers working 12 to 16 hours a day overtime after 50 hours in the weather. Do you have my utmost respect? But I think a lot of you guys also get the entire winter off. Oh, yeah? I think so. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, listener. 204-780-6868. So I know that many road constructors who do take the winter off, not all of them, but but I do do know that many do, which is who I was thinking of. But other construction is obviously done throughout the year. I asked to be corrected. I was. Eve says, no, Greg, we don't get the winter off. When the white stuff starts flying, then it's even busier than summer. So anyway, as I said in the clip, all the utmost respect. I did the job. I used to work in the weather. I framed houses uh, for summer after summer, and I've worked outside doing the the, the winter stuff, clearing snow, etc. So I, I get it uh, from the personal standpoint. I just, uh, yeah, the whataboutism kind of bugs me. Bugs me too. Just because we're talking about one thing doesn't mean it. Has, we're placing more value on. That than other things. So, again, uh, to the construction workers, you're working hard. We respect you. Absolutely. And uh, I would say, you know, when they say to quit whining, I will say to you, quit whining. When you send us that kind of text, that's your whining. And uh, not really interested in that. 8 o'clock Wednesday essentially marks the midway mark of our work week here on The Start. With that in mind... What better way to begin the sprint to the weekend than with a visit with one of our all-time favorite voices? He's a guy you may have heard of, a voice you might recognize. Let's say good morning to our friend and yours, Bob Irving. Morning, Bob. Morning, Greg and Brad. How you doing? We're doing A-OK, and uh, golf is front of mind as we'll be hanging out at Southwood for the next couple of days. We'll talk about that in a moment, but we do have to talk Blue Bombers, even though they're on a bye week. I'm seeing on social media, as I'm sure you are, Bob, uh, it seems as though fishing is the activity of choice for many of the players this week. Lots of lots of activity on the social medias with the Bombers catching fish. Should management have a lure in the water for a new kicker in this off week? 
Well, you know, I look back to the game they lost against Montreal now, and everybody remembers that Mark Leggio missed a game-winning field goal and then missed one in overtime that could have extended overtime. I think what we've forgotten here to some degree is that going into that last-minute kick, Leggio had made 19 of his 21 field goals on the air, including some longer ones. It looked like he had become a consistent place kicker. And Michael Shea's not going to give up on him after one game. Now, he will be watched very closely going forward when he has a chance again to win a game with a kick. But I don't believe the Bombers are thinking seriously about making a, a change at this point. You know, they drafted Legio, They've groomed him. He has become a much more consistent putter and place kicker this year. So I don't think you give up on him after one game having said that they'll watch him closely he'll have to make some big kicks as we go along here uh, and another situation where he misses a critical one could put his position in jeopardy in which case the bombers would then much like they did last year late in the season look for another kicker but right now i would say they're going to they're going to stick with legio and see how he reacts to what happened the other night Switching to golf, Tiger Woods and Ricky Fowler flew to Delaware yesterday, Bob, to engage in discussions about the direction of the PGA Tour and the impact of the Live Tour, which I know you love, LOL. (laughs) Woods has spoken out against this Live Tour. Do we know what the goal of these informal discussions among PGA players is about? Well, I think the goal entirely, Brett, would be about solidarity and you know, everybody staying true to the cause, which is to stick with the PGA Tour. I mean, Tiger said earlier this year when Liv came after him that he didn't agree with it. He turned down $800 million from the Saudi-backed tour. And he basically said about the players who had signed with Liv that they've turned their backs on the tour that has allowed them to get into a position where big money would be thrown at them. And I couldn't agree more. I don't know what the PGA Tour can do to stop others from jumping. The the rumor now is that Cam Smith, who won the British Open, uh, has already agreed to a deal with Liv for $100 million. I mean, the Saudis have this unlimited uh, supply of millions of dollars that they're throwing at these players, and the PGA Tour can't, they just can't compete with that. Now, having said that, Cam Smith has made $10 million in prize money on the PGA Tour this year. And for every dollar you make in prize money on the PGA Tour, it's said that you make another 50 cents in corp, you know, sponsorship and outings and that sort of thing. 58 players on the PGA Tour have made $2 million plus in prize money, and 126 players this year have made more than a million dollars. So there's lots of money on the PGA Tour, but you have to play well and compete to stay on the PGA Tour, whereas with Live Golf, they'll sign 48 players, which they've done now, and you're guaranteed. You know, you're guaranteed that you'll play every week in the tournament. You're guaranteed, even if you're in last place, you'll probably make $100,000, and you got a huge signing bonus. So I just don't know if they – apparently they've offered Cam Smith $100 million to sign with them. Uh, So the player's got to say, well, wait a minute, how can I turn that down? And I guess if he's got a moral compass, he can. And if he's already made $10 million this year on the PGA Tour with the prospect of making many millions more in ensuing years, he can turn it down. But a lot of them feel that they can't, obviously, because they've signed with Liv. So you ask me, what can the PGA Tour do? Uh, Not much. Uh, You know, I think they can just appeal to the uh, sort of the better feelings of the players and the 
the morality of the players and say, hey, guys, you know, first of all, Liv is backed by the Saudis. We all know what that uh, country is all about. And secondly, the PGA Tour has made you what you are. You Don't turn your back on it. You know, show some loyalty. So we'll see how this all unfolds. Yeah, some people trying to make the comparison between the NHL and the WHA. Well, oh. you know, listen, <laughs> uh, you know this, Bob. I don't need to tell you, but uh, there's no golfers on the PGA Tour making seventeen grand a year having to carry a second job. Now, some of the fellas that, that we'll see over the next four days at Southwood, that might be a little bit of a different story. These are... These are men who are trying to make it to the PGA Tour or maybe live golf. We won't get into that. But the Manitoba Open has been a staple on the sports calendar in these parts for decades. It has changed names over time, and the tour names have changed also. But what hasn't changed, Bob, is that this has almost always been one of the best tournament stops of whatever tour the Manitoba Open has been a part of. Manitoba open memories for you, Bob, and, and maybe a, a, a comment on what I just said. Well, sure. These are players who are striving to be on the PGA Tour, and many of them make it and become stars. Graham Delatte, who won the Manitoba Open in 2010, went on to a terrific career on the PGA Tour before injuries derailed his career. Tom Hoagie won in 2011. He's made a couple of million bucks or more on the PGA Tour this year. Kramer Hickok won it in 2017, and he's had an outstanding year on the PGA Tour. So the players who play at uh, Southwood this week, many of them will see on the PGA Tour in coming years. My memories, the best one is Rob McMillan, who won it as an amateur, a Winnipeg guy. He won it as an amateur back in 1996, which was just incredible. I'll never forget that. And I had one experience playing in the Manitoba Open Pro-Am that I'll never forget. It was at Pine Ridge, and it was probably 20 years ago when the tournament was there. I, I played in the Pro-Am, and Rob Oppenheim was my pro, or the pro for our team. And I'll never forget how kind and supportive and friendly and just a wonderful guy to, to spend four and a half or five hours playing a Pro-Am with was. You know, and I'm not a very good golfer, but he was so encouraging, and whenever I hit a good shot, he'd say, great shot. And I've followed him ever since, and he has really struggled, you know, to stay on the PGA Tour. He plays a lot on the satellite tours, but he's still out there in his mid-40s now, I think, struggling along with his game, making a living playing golf, but it's not easy. He's never really, you know, become a front-line guy on the PGA Tour, but I'll always remember what a wonderful guy he was to play with in that pro-am well we're looking forward to the manitoba open starts tomorrow we'll be broadcasting live all day 6 a.m to 6 p.m at southwood golf and country club and then the start will be back on friday bob always a pleasure chatting with you thank you for joining us hey brad have you played southwood i have played i think i played it weren't you in my group or maybe you were in the group in front of me i played it at uh, winnipeg blue bombers tournament okay yeah it's a terrific it's a Lynx course, right? And it's going to play to about 7,300 yards. So it's going to be a great test for the players on, on the uh, tour, the, the Canadian tour. That's right. Uh, oh, yeah, you were in the group in front of us. And when we teed off, I think you uh, jammed one onto the green. On, it was a par three. I think you uh, you took the only shot in your group. Everyone else just said, why bother? Bob just oh, nailed that it. Could, that, that must have been somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bob. Modest Bob Irving, as is the usual. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate this. Okay, guys. Yeah, that's right. We, you, I played with you, Mackling. That's right. I think we played with uh, Brendan Alexander. Yep. Brendan Alexander. Brandon Alexander. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was wondering when I was going to do that. Because <laughs> your boy's name is yep. Brendan. Yeah, And that's that's why uh, he's our favorite player in our house, Brandon Alexander. Yeah, so yeah, Southwood's a great spot for golf, and I'm sure it's going to be a real test for their players tomorrow. It, it's not an easy place to play golf. It's Mackling and McGarry. We have tickets to give away for celebrations, dinner, theaters, Ships Creek. And we're asking you about stuff that you've learned from TV shows or movies. Life lessons. Because sometimes some of the most profound messages we'll hear will come from a show that we like or a movie that we like. And and the Mike has shared something about a show that I've been curious about. And now I think I really need to look into this show further. Have you heard of a show starring Ricky Gervais called... Afterlife on Netflix? I have. have and you watched I, it? I haven't been brave enough to watch it. I have a sense it's pretty emotional. Well, it's uh, the, the line that Mike has shared is, I'd rather be nowhere with her than somewhere without her. <laughs> and uh, this show, it's um, it, it follows a newspaper writer named Tony whose life is turned upside down after his wife dies from breast cancer and he contemplates suicide but instead decides to spend his life punishing the world. It's a black comedy. He decides to spend his life punishing the world for his wife's death by saying and doing whatever he wants regardless of how it makes other people feel. So that's a perfect role for Ricky Gervais because that's what he does anyway. Although he thinks of this as his superpower, his plan is undermined when everyone around him pities him and tries to make him a better person. So that's an interesting premise for a Mm. show. But but, uh, it's a wonderful line. And uh, thanks for sharing that, Mike. Uh, Another runner-up here from Becky. And I'll get you to read the winner in a moment here, Mackling. But Becky says, in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie, not the book. I can't remember if it's in the book. Dumbledore says, well, he says this. But you know, but you know, happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only remembers to turn on the light. Becky says, I love that quote, and I even got it tattooed. I try to remember that when times are tough hmm. in life. I thought Dumbledore was a bad guy. No, Shows- that's uh, Voldemort. Oh, Voldemort. Yeah, see, they sound similar. Or although I sh- I'm not to put, he who shall not be, oh, shall he- not be named. Yes, yeah, I named him, so that's a problem. Yep, uh, anyway, but Ty in LeBrokery is our winner, G-Mac. Yeah, if you're looking for life lessons, Ty says, tune into Apple TV's Ted Lasso. People saying there's something wrong with us. Not the way I see it. I believe in communism. Rom communism, that is. If Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan can go through some heartfelt struggles and still end up happy, then so can we. <laughs> so many life lessons, G-Mac. Oh, I love this program. And uh, Ty ties this uh, back to this goldfish uh, myth, by the way. One of my buddies listening to the show says... Hate to break it to you, but goldfish, uh, their memories are weeks, months, years long. It's a myth. But anyway, uh, Ty makes the correlation of the quote that the goldfish, you know, just move on from your problems. Forget about the mistakes you've made. And he also brings in the quote, uh, and be curious as a human being. I like my bathing suits just like I like my problems. One piece, great lines throughout the entire show. As a coach, Ty says he can't help but watch it over and over again, and I couldn't agree with you more, Ty. 
Ted Lasso is a wonderful show on Apple TV Plus if you haven't watched it. Highly, highly, highly recommended. This morning, we have been discussing impactful pop culture, TV shows and movies in particular, which have provided a life lesson or at least some kind of guidance in your life. And our next guest, Brett, is actually making a living using 80s pop culture as a sort of textbook. He makes his living this way because a scene in The Outsiders helped adjust his life view, changed his focus. Uh, our guest is the author of the popular book series, The Ultimate Series on Essential Work and Life Lessons from 80s Pop Culture. Joined now by author, speaker, and 80s pop culture expert, Chris Clues. Good morning, Chris. Hey, guys. How are you? It's We're- great to be here. I appreciate the megaphone. <laughs> well, the megaphone is all yours for the next seven, eight minutes or so here, Chris. So let's just jump into this. That, that, that scene in The Outsiders, what scene was that, and was it really as impactful as I made it seem? It was actually, and there were actually two movies that had a huge impact on me and, and kind of driving me in this direction. The first was The Outsiders, and it's uh, a scene uh, where Pony Boy, uh, and with Pony Boy and Johnny Cade, and Johnny Cade is played by Ralph Macchio. He's kind of a rough, tough kid that joins this gang in The Outsiders, but he does something amazing where he goes into a burning church to save some kids um, from the fire, and he ultimately does that, but he's severely burned, and, and he's going to die, and, and uh, Pony Boy finds this um, letter from him that says a lot of things, but in it it says you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And that had a huge impact on me because I was actually about 46, 47 years old when I decided that I wanted to move away from the corporate world and find um, what I wanted to do. And so that was a little bit later in life than most entrepreneurs, I think. And so this idea of you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want really resonated with me. Uh, and then the second one was The Breakfast Club I was watching, and John Bender said, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I had realized that my screws had fallen out. I was in an imperfect place. What was I going to do to kind of put those screws back in, and uh, was I going to put them back in the same way and just kind of keep going in the same direction? It was giving me this, uh, you know, this kind of um, Henry David Thoreau, as he said, the mass of men or the mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. Was I leading that life of quiet desperation, or was I going to, find a whole new set of screws and a whole new door and walk out through a brand new journey. And that's what I did. So when it comes to these life lessons in pop culture, you know, your focus is specifically on the eighties. Was there something unique about the eighties that separated itself from pop culture from other decades in terms of the, the positive and inspirational messages therein? Yeah, it's a, I, you know, I think so. Um, yes. So I think what's great about 80s pop culture, and I kind of explain it like it was somebody took a glitter bomb and threw it against the wall and all these wonderful colors came out of it when it exploded. And those wonderful colors were all of the different types of pop culture within 80s pop culture. And we saw it in the music. I always use the music as kind of a, uh, a barometer for the diversity of 80s pop culture in terms of the, the different types so if you look at top 40, you pull up any top 40 music from any month of any year in, in the decade of the 80s, and what you see is Kenny Rogers next to LL Cool J, next to Depeche Mode, next to Debbie Gibson, all these different types of music, all designed for different people, of course, or different audiences, but all coming together and being popular pieces of music that people loved to listen to in the 80s. So you have this real um, diversity of 
um, and variety of different genres, both in movies and music. And I think that's what made pop culture um, in the 80s so interesting and why we're seeing this, this incredible renaissance of it. You know, you bring up a great point, and Brett, you brought up a great point just by uh, with your question and this whole idea of pulp culture infiltrating our our everyday lives. And on this program, Chris, we we typically say any conversation we have in the morning can be tied back to a Simpsons, Friends, or Seinfeld episode. There's there's some correlation to one of those three programs in just about every single situation in real life or, or just as we're goofing around. There's some truth to that. Absolutely. Pop culture lends itself to, uh, if you really dive into it, I mean, it's, it's first and foremost designed to entertain us for the most part. But then when you really dive into uh, to pop culture and you talk about The Simpsons and Friends and Seinfeld, of course, um, awesome for, for pop culture references. But when I think about the 80s movies, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of them would be Trading Places. So that's in my new book, uh, which is Raised on the 80s, and that will be coming out September 27th. It's on pre-order right now on Amazon. You get 25% discount if you pre-order now. I had to throw that pitch in, of course. Uh, so Trading Places. Uh, if, you, if you know this movie, great cast. Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Phenomenal cast. And Eddie Murphy plays Billy Ray Valentine. And he's this guy who's a bit of a con man, right? But very, very smart. Really intelligent. And they shift roles. Dan Aykroyd's character and Eddie Murphy's character. They shift roles. And it, we could really get into the, the plot of this, but I'll try to do this quickly here. And Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy's character, ends up as a commodities broker. Instead of being a con man on kind of on the street rate, making money there, he becomes a commodities broker. And the night before he's supposed to start this job, he gets really nervous. And he says to the butler, you, Coleman, what if I can't do this job, Coleman? What if I'm not what they expected? And Coleman says, just be yourself, sir. They can't take that away from you. And this is a really important lesson because we, we've already known at this point Billy Ray Valentine is a really, really intelligent guy who can do this job. But he's questioning himself. He has this imposter syndrome that we've heard about recently where you get a job and you think, why me? Why did I get this job? Why did I get this position? And there's a great lesson in there about the difference between confident people and arrogant people. That you can be good at what you do and still question yourself. Confident people question themselves. Arrogant people question others. This is a really important lesson. If you are questioning yourself. You will always get better if you continue to question yourself. The minute you stop questioning yourself, where are you going to go? You're either, either just going to stop questioning yourself or you're going to start questioning other people. And uh, neither of those are really good paths to success. So, it's, so that's just an example of how we can find a lesson, a life lesson, a work lesson in 80s pop culture. I love that. Um, Feel the dreams. We've got to talk about this one, Brett. Oh, hang on a second. I forgot to... T- <laughs> it happens at least three times a show. I've got a clip here, but I had everything turned down. They'll find... We have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick they'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. Of course, Ray Kinsella makes a very bold decision, a very bold choice. He's, he's chastised for it throughout the film. And, and this powerful film it has had an impact on so many people, Chris. 
and they even play a major league baseball game now in Dyersville, Iowa. That's that's the impact of this movie on pop culture and in life for so many. What does it teach us? Yeah, so that scene is a great scene. I'm so glad you brought that particular one up because it does speak to this really important lesson about the idea of logical equals safe, illogical equals chaos. But from illogical, from chaos, comes our innovation and our advancement and moving forward. And we, we see the examples of this all over our pop culture and all over our, our business world and our entertainment world as well. You look at some of the people that are megastars like Lady Gaga, how she was completely illogical, right? This idea that she started on this, this little show, this little reality show on MTV. And we, if you go back and you watch her in this show, you don't see Lady Gaga, right? You see, and then you see all the things that she did to create this persona. We look at somebody like Elon Musk saying, hey, I'm going to build a rocket. I'm going to put it up in space, and then it's going to come back down, and I'm going to be able to reuse it 10 more times again over and over and over again to bring payloads up and eventually astronauts up to the space station. And people said, you can't reuse a rocket. Well, we're reusing rockets now. And so you see this idea that if you're thinking illogically, you know, and people say, hey, that, this is a crazy idea. It's never going to work. You're probably on the right track. And you're going, that's where, we see, that's where we see things created. We don't see them from things being played safe. Being played, things that are played safe are important, of course. We need these linear things that we know are going to create safety. But we also need that chaos. We need those people to take those, make those bold decisions. And we see what happens with Ray and Annie at the end of the movie. You know, spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it. But obviously they make a lot more money and have a, 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 they're a lot happier from creating this baseball diamond in the middle of their cornfield when they're being told you're going to be foreclosed on because you're not going to be able to generate revenue from these crops because you're going to destroy them to build a baseball field that makes absolutely no sense. But ultimately it did. So glad we've had this conversation because there are so many important lessons that we can take away from the movies and shows that we love if we just pay a touch more attention. So once again, the book, when does it come out and how, how do we get it? Yeah, so it comes out on September 27th. Uh, it's actually available for pre-order right now. As I said, you get 25% off up until the release of the book, and it's called Raised on the 80s, 30-plus Unexpected Life Lessons from the Movies and Music that Define Pop Culture's Most Excellent Decade. It is part of the series that you mentioned earlier, and you can currently get it on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. The ultimate series on essential work and life lessons from 80s pop culture. Chris Clues, author, speaker, and 80s pop culture expert. Chris, this has been wonderful. We'll have to bring you back. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.